0: What does it mean to be able to pursue something that you see as play? What does that do for the risk factor of the
1: possibility of failure? It lessens it because it's not about the result, it's about the sensation of doing. So even now, like I just, you know, started this new show, My Life is Murder. Don't get me wrong, I want it to be successful. I want people to like it, but I already got the juice out of it, you know? like <laughs> I've already thoroughly enjoyed every moment. I live for those moments that the cameras rolling between action and cut that's the whole it's so rewarding in terms of sensation that uh, i guess i'm just chasing some kind of dragon
0: that is lucy lawless and this is episode 294 of the osha ginsburg podcast (laughs) Welcome to the Osher Ginsburg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg. This is episode 294 of the show with the one and only Lucy Lawless. Yes, indeed. Lucy Lawless. Xena. Warrior Princess. Parks and Recreation. Spartacus. And the new series uh, that she's in right now, My Life is Murder. More about Lucy in just a moment. If you're new to the show, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, I'm Osher. I, I work in television. I make podcasts. And um, I ride a bike. We have a baby not far away, and um, I make this show every single Monday and Friday, and have been doing it for years now. Uh, what is this show? It's simply a conversation designed to hopefully help you make today a bit better than yesterday. That's it. Something you will hear in the next hour and also um, will make you think. Oh, really? I might just. Have you considered a different angle on a thing or two? Something that will hopefully make things a little better for you. That's all we are here to do. Big thank you to everybody that let me know where they're listening to the show every week. It's called a, a podsy, like a selfie, but a podsy. It's what you're looking at when you're listening. Um, you're probably on a phone, so it's simple to do. Just take a photo of what you're looking at right now and send it to me. Send us your email at gmail.com. A big shout out to Selkie, who listens while she recycles cars. Her, her job is to pick up cars with this massive hydraulic arm and chop them to bits and throw them in a crusher um, to be used again with steel recycling. She's fantastic. Um, and she sends me great photos. And this week, while she was listening to Josh Silberman, my guest, tell me about that one time he accidentally wandered into a Russian mafia den in Moscow. Um, as she's listening to that, a suspension spring arm from a van that she was demolishing flung out of the wreckage and smashed straight through the window of her machine. The photos are full on. Thankfully, she's okay, but... We're very happy you're safe, Selkie, but thank you so much for sending that in to us. Also, a big thanks to Isabel, who sent us a picture of her and her greyhound, Jed, out for a very cold, quite dark, and very early morning walk while listening to the show. And in her words, she wrote, on occasions like this, doing the work feels a little bit harder, but starting the day well helps me make better decisions throughout my day, which makes it worth it. Isabel, uh, truer words couldn't have been spoken. Thank you so much for sending that stuff to me. Send us your email at gmail.com. Also, big thanks to everyone that rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show, wherever you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show. A couple came in through iTunes this week. Thank you for that. Lozzy wrote, awesome stuff. I listen most days of the week during my long commute to work. Well, thanks so much for listening. And to Dog, who wrote, No, oh, that's very kind. I think this is saving lives. Real openness and honesty of Osh's check-ins, particularly 19th of July, must be helping people with mental health struggles every day. Wise analogies, funny too. And the Monday interviews are very entertaining and interesting, one of the best podcasts around at the moment. Thank you so much. Very, very kind of you to, to write those reviews. It does help us a lot between that and telling someone else about the show. That's really the best possible thing you can do for us. If you do find this show brings you value, that's how you can pay us back.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint
0: Mobile. Get started today at plushcare.com slash loss That's plushcare.com slash loss plushcare.com slash loss So let me tell you about my guest today. Lucy Lawless is an internationally known actress from New Zealand who shot to worldwide stardom as Xena, Warrior Princess in 1995. Then she went on to do Spartacus, many seasons of that, and Ash vs. Evil Dead, and, and that one really excellent episode of Flight of the Concords. She's done so much stuff. She's a very hardworking person. And Lucy's currently in the new series, My Life is Murder, which is on 10 here in Australia. Lucy's story is one that I found so inspiring because she's someone who's got this unshakable drive to pursue what she essentially defines as play. And that's allowed her to build an incredible life that's not only very satisfying to her, but one that is by design so authentic She connects naturally to millions of people around the world whenever she's on screen. Her work ethic, her spirit of adventure, her willingness to take a chance, all these things just left me... Really, once I got off the Skype call with her, I was just chomping at the bit to get on with stuff. (laughs) I really was. I can't wait for you to hear this. We caught up via Skype. Uh, She was in New York City the other week, so we caught up that way. Uh, So thanks for understanding the audio ambiance that comes with a Skype call to another country. So enjoy this conversation with the one and only Lucy Lawless. I'm really grateful to, to speak with you today. I've got to tell <laughs> you, Lucy, I've, had, I've recorded over 300 episodes of this show.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I've never interviewed someone who has the same birthday as me. Oh,
1: uh, well, Elle McPherson.
0: Not interviewed her yet.
1: You, me and Elle
0: McPherson. We should have a party. I know. I know my my mum was um, doing her best to make sure that I wasn't an April fool baby.
1: Were you? You're 29th, are you? 29th of March. The reason I ask is that for the longest time I thought it was the 28th because my mother had so many children she couldn't keep it all straight. And um, <laughs> so I wasn't sure if you were reading old news or new news. No, no. So, yeah, 29th. 20,
0: March, March, March 29th. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. Happy nearly half birthday. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. <laughs> well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to speak with you. I'm very grateful you made time time for this today. Um, it's uh, you, you've had such an extraordinary career, and you're you're such a inspiration to so many people. It's um, you know, and in getting ready for this, I I've, I found out so much about you that. I was just super surprised to unravel and super surprised to discover. So I'm sure I'm not alone in a lot of that, Lucy. What was
1: was surprising?
0: What was surprising? That you worked uh, on a station as a jackaroo.
1: Uh, Do you know what? I think some really mischievous, hilarious person is putting junk in my Wikipedia, which is so hilarious to me. And um, I get more interesting all the time. That's not actually true, nor was my grandfather a convict, which somebody else asked about the other day. That's
0: fantastic. <laughs> so
1: so whatever imp has got the uh, password to the Wikipedia page um, is putting in some juicy little factoids, which are not factual at all, and um, I think that's great.
0: Well, let's put a call out. What would you like to be on your Wikipedia page? What kind of other jobs would you like to have had, Lucy?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I would have liked to have been like Santa Claus, like deliverer of presents, yep. flyer through the air. Yep, a trapeze artist. Yep. Um, yeah, strong man. All those things. We can invent that. You know, lady.
0: Lucy. Lucy did. Lucy did eight years as a, as a trapeze artist in the West Wellington High Flyers, and you know we could just make up a company so it sounds right.
1: I love it. <laughs> I love
0: it. So, uh, but you—you you did you. Speaking of performance, though, you, you you have been doing this for quite some time, haven't you? You you uh, you started this when you were quite a wee kid, didn't you, Lizzie? I,
1: I did as play, and I'm always intrigued by that. You know what? Because my own experience is that whatever I did as play became my job, and I wonder if that's true of other people.
0: Play, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, as a, as a child, me and my best friend at five years old were all already adapting fairy tales and doing dance acts and making presentations and um it was just we were also great hustlers like we'd go door-to-door selling junk and I mean literally junk out of my mother's the button cupboard you know where every piece of miscellaneous rubbish um gets stored in a 1970s house and we would wrap it up in newspaper and sell them as lucky dips Michelle and I were such hustlers And in those days, you'd get refunds on bottles and crates and things. And we were always you could get two dollars for a big plastic crate and we would spend it all on lollies. (laughs) (laughs) We'd have the like specious raffles for non-existent pony, you know, save a pony at a non-existent pony club. I mean, We were horrible little hustlers. But um, anyway, that and (laughs) I didn't go into hustling. But it's there to fall back on.
0: Right, right. But you got into uh, you, you got on stage as a form of of just play as a kind of adventure.
1: Yeah, it wasn't much of a stage. It was just like the senior citizens brigade where my mother my mother was the mayoress of our town, and um, she would encourage us. You know, had to do things for the old folks and uh, plenty of uh, supportive parenting going on. You know, in terms of our creative spark or whatever my mother never failed to nurture it and suffer through our awful dance performances and things
0: but you you chased this thing that like do you you remember what it was to stand on stage You remember how it felt was there something different about it
1: no I tell you what I remember the moment where I went that's the job for me and I must could only have been five or six and my mother took me to um uh Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs so it's like 1973, Auckland, we're up in the gods. And all of a sudden they turned on the black light and the paint fluoresced. And in 1970, we'd never seen fluorescent paint in New Zealand before. And my mind was blown and the door mice came out, the field mice and the flowers started dancing. I was like, holy shit, I know that's people on stage. That's real people, that's a real job. I just totally have to be a dormouse and it, that was the moment where I was—I got the bug, and it was at a super young age.
0: So you—that are f- was
1: many years before I would do it professionally.
0: You're five years old, and you go, "That's it. That's the one for me."
1: That's it. That, that yeah,
0: yeah. That'd, there pr- can be no other. Pretty lucky. Not a lot of people. Not a lot of people get that. Some people don't find that until they're, you know, in their
1: 30s. No, I, I know. I always felt. I, I know that that's okay, but I was always grateful that I didn't waste any time you know pursuing other things
0: yeah um and then so you're uh, you're on stage for the senior citizens and uh, you're not quite a dormouse. but it, did it feel like you wanted it to feel
1: i was a frog i was a frog it was great yeah well it was the nuts and bolts of acting it wasn't the magic of i feel like such a star it was oh we've got to keep these we had the eyes. Do you, I wonder if you guys remember, if you're old enough, you'd remember that leg-along pantyhose used to be sold in these eggs. And if you unwrapped the eggs and chucked out the pantyhose, and Michelle, my buddy, would take the top half, and I'd take the two bottom halves, and we'd stuff them down a pantyhose leg and tie them to our heads, and we were frogs. Bingo. Because the, for the purposes of the story, the eyes had to be on the back of our heads. So it was all about the logistics of making the magic work for the old folks. You know? <laughs> We were j- two Japanese frogs, the frog from Kyoto and the frog from Osaka. Uh, yeah. And they got to the bridge between and they stood up on their hind legs. And because the back of their, their eyes were on the back of their heads, they said, my goodness, Kyoto looks just like Osaka. And the other frog said, my goodness, Osaka looks just like Kyoto. I shan't bother going on. So they turned around and went home. The end. Rapturous applause. And that that was my, um, my my auspicious start,
0: and that's it. That was the that was yeah. the beginning the beginning of it all.
1: Hey, what more do you need, Osha?
0: <laughs> but
1: you mentioned something. The you chair. mentioned something
0: before, which I, I, I find quite fascinating. That because you saw it as play, what does it mean to be able to pursue something that you see as play? What does that do for the risk factor of of the possibility of failure?
1: Well, it lessens it because. It's not about the result. It's about the sensation of doing. So even now, like I just, you know, started this new show, My Life is Murder, it really, um, like, don't get me wrong, I, I want it to be successful. I want people to like it. But I already got the juice out of it, you know. Like, <laughs> I've already thoroughly enjoyed every moment. I live for those moments that the camera's rolling between action and cut. That's the whole it's so rewarding in terms of sensation that uh, I guess I'm just chasing some kind of dragon.
0: (laughs) Well, that's not, I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure Kelly Slater, you know, doesn't like sitting on all those planes and schlepping on all those vans and living in those little demountables on the side of a, you know, Indonesian reef break for the eight seconds that he spends in a tube.
1: I bet he does.
0: (laughs) But it's that moment, you know? (laughs) It's that you know. I mean, uh, heaven forbid we're golfers, Lucy, and then that moment is less than three, less than two seconds when you hit that swing. Like that's it. So being involved in, and getting high off the the process of it, being a part of just the immediacy and the mindfulness of the moment was something that you know just propelled you forward.
1: Well, that's what it is. When I look back on it, like I live for the sensation. The sensation. So if it doesn't work. I'm already onto another thing. I'm, I'm so in the moment at all times. But I also enjoy everything else around a television show. I love the way it's constructed. I love the culture. I love I love understanding how it all goes together and what's like. It's a huge puzzle. Plus, when you shoot television, every day is problem solving. Like you've got a list of shots that you have to achieve. And every half an hour, you're going tick, tick. Oh, we've got a problem. Oh, we solved it. Big tick, double tick, you know. So it's very satisfying chunking through the day. It's, uh, there's so many, with some exceptional days, which things go horribly wrong, but for the most part, it's immensely satisfying because there's multiple successes along in the course of a day.
0: And you're a whole team together fighting against the common enemy of yeah. sunset.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. Time is kind of the enemy. Yeah. Yes. That's right.
0: And it's super exciting, especially when you're and – you, and I know you've done this when you're on a show that's done tens if not hundreds of episodes. You do become quite the quite the circus troupe and um, you have an interesting relationship yes. with everyone around you and see how the team, all the cogs work together.
1: Yeah, it's quite a trap at first because I remember the first time that our my most um, – the people who work in closest proximity to me left – I think it was Zena, must have been Zena, yeah, and went off to do Lord of the Rings, the the cameraman, focus puller, somebody some other people. And I was bereft. I was so hurt that they would be going. I could how can I get, get by without my he's like, my brothers, I complained to my shrink. And he said, hmm, now Lucy, is there someone you could more appropriately have that relationship with? I went, <laughs> What, like my brothers? Because <laughs> I've got like five brothers. So um, that was a good lesson that if not that, feels like family, they ain't your family. But every time you see them, you will still have that kind of functional intimacy, which you might not get with your own family, actually.
0: It, it is true. And I, I definitely, I could definitely it's like rel- family, but better. Yeah, I, I could definitely relate. You know, these are, these are people who are often within two metres of you for uh, ten hours of a day, mm-hmm. so you have to have an, a, a degree of trust in their ability to do their job, and they have to have a degree of trust in your ability to do your job because they don't want to be hanging out all day in the cold with their North Face hoodie on. You don't,
1: you don't need, yeah, you don't need trust because you can see it whether people can do their job or not. It's yeah. evident. But the but people that go into film and television are for the most part very similar. A, they're kind of a type, and they're people who could never survive in an office setting. They could never do anything regular and boring that will – they can't bear to think of knowing where they'll be in five years. That kind of stability is irksome, I think, for many of us. We love to know where we're going to be for the next season, but we're not people who um, love quite that kind of stability. Uh, that's for other people.
0: It does – yeah, it's true. I, I, I failed miserably at desk jobs. I've, I've had to sit at a desk a few times in my career and i just fall asleep. I just pass out. Yeah,
1: you're not designed for it. That's right. What did you do for play when you were a kid?
0: I rode bicycles, Lucy, because bicycles are freedom machines. When you're eight, you know you can. Yeah. Where suddenly... did you go
1: in your bicycle?
0: Um. Well, we lived in a suburb of Brisbane that had a, a recent development out the back, which had. Very excellent gutters that were at a forty five degree angle to the lawn so you could ride up and down them like in Dogtown oh, and Z Boys. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And uh
1: especially nice smooth concrete. My yeah, word,
0: gorgeous. Like butter smooth, Lucy. And we were a we were a gang, you know. We were like many new housing developments, a lot of kids the same age. So we were just I think at one point there was like twenty of us on BMXs just fanging around and it was awesome. Wow. Yeah. Uh, later in life, yeah, as, yeah, as, yeah. An, as an adult, I still ride bicycles. I still do that. But I actually get an enjoyable amount of play. I, I kind of like play with my, with, this is going to sound odd, uh, with my wife. Like she's had to teach me how to stop being so serious. So she just basically gives me shit from dawn till dusk. And I have Are to- Are you serious? Really? Yeah, yeah. Can I, you, can be, I can how, be-
1: how, how, how does that express itself?
0: Not taking a joke like if someone's being oh, really? sarcastic, yeah if someone's being sarcastic i'm um, um, you know like uh, oh i'm glad that i'm um, well i'm so glad that that happened why would you be glad that that happened
1: oh, is it so oh, your brain just yeah, reads yeah. it as literal yes. you're literal
0: yeah and it's wow. really everything That's comes cute. to a crashing halt yeah
1: are you quite a little bit um do you have any learning disabilities?
0: I don't, and I went to go to the doctor the other day to go and check it out. I did a three and a half hour long test, and there was all kind of blocks and puzzles and all kinds of things. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's something there. There is something there. There's something, but this that is the, doesn't
1: pick up on visual cues.
0: This is the, mm. no. This is the, but this is the thing, Lucy, in that it's something that has it can be a hindrance in my personal relationships. I often can't tell if, if someone is is uh, happy or, or upset mainly, you know. Um, however – That
1: is amazing, right.
0: Uh, however, what it, it does – this is also a thing, you know, it's it's part of a symptom that comes with the oh, – I've been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, so I have this extraordinary ability to just like hyper-focus as well and it's yeah certainly helped my career. It's
1: handy for some, certain things. <laughs> Yeah. Right.
0: I consider it a bit of a wow. superpower, you know. It it can be terrible. Oh my god!
1: I think you might be explaining my other podcast to friends to me. Yeah, like I've got to do another one tonight. I've got to do it on sort of crime and pop culture. Yeah. Right? And my friend Mark Lindsenmeyer has sent me like eighteen pages of data. To you know, because he's a he's an academic. So, and I'm like. Oh, I ain't got time for that, bro. <laughs> you know? But to him, that's a perfectly reasonable request. That I, I, you know, read a couple of textbooks about whatever the hell crime and pop culture.
0: <laughs> Good lord!
1: But uh, yeah, never going to happen. Right. I just speak from the gut.
0: Oh, that look—that is—that is important. Yeah, it, it's 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 interesting. Sometimes it's quite tough, you know. Sometimes, certainly when that machine turns in on itself, it can be very very damaging. And um, has caused me a lot of really, yeah. It's cool. I've I've gotten into a lot of trouble in the past, and I was on a lot of meds for a while. I got really sick, and uh-huh. uh, to be honest with you, Lucy, we're about we're at week thirty four and one day today. So we're oh, well, that uh, in I'm in an office that's about to be a baby room, so we're pretty close to a
1: oh, yeah. How marvelous,
0: yeah. But we've got uh, Aud-
1: okay. So do you want to hear my little? Thing that I always wish that people would tell me when I was expecting a baby. Please do. Okay, that labour—it's not all pain. You know that the the um, contraction will come and it'll mount and it'll go back down. In between contractions, you are utterly one thousand percent yourself. There is no pain. There is no nothing. You know, so you can cope with it. And because look at all these bastards on the motorway. Every, almost every one of them came out, you know, through contractions. It's a natural physiological event. And if anything deviates from the norm, you know, if you're having it at home or in the hospital, they bang you in hospital. It's all, you know, you have all those things in place. But when I was expecting my first child and I was slightly freaked out and I was 19. And I watched this woman on CNN and it must have been the end of 1987, this woman in Africa, there was nine feet of flood raging beneath her. She was stuck in the crook of a tree with a helicopter over filming as she gave birth in a freaking tree. And that baby is today 31 years old. And it just taught me, it's like, you know what? If that woman can do this in a tree with a freaking helicopter (laughs) bearing down on her, filming her with all that water... It's like we're okay. We're going to be okay. And um, it's, yeah, remember, natural physiological event. And a woman's body is so brilliant because after you have the baby, the minute you start breastfeeding, it sends a message from the breast to your brain to the womb to start shrinking down and you feel as wah, wah, wah as it goes from being like the biggest muscle, bigger than your glutes that can push a baby out to being, you know, a tiny, sad little fruit, (laughs) a deflated balloon, but it must, that breastfeeding um, impulse starts this process. A woman's body is freaking amazing.
0: I absolutely agree. Really astonishing. I I, I absolutely concur. Audrey, she was a little older than you, but she had her first quite young as well. So we have have a a 15-and-a-half-year-old here as well.
1: Awesome. She's been through it. That's great. Yes,
0: yeah. and uh, in the words of my Still. friend Yumi Steins, vaginas are magical things.
1: <laughs> oh, they're magical. <laughs>
0: they really they are magical. Really are. I think you know. I think you know. Similarly, you know, to talk about this, frankly, Lucy. Similarly, growing up, but I used to be a roadie a long time ago, so I was around blokey men who had, well, let's just say, interesting relationships with the female species, and you know, you hear all the jokes about what happens to a woman's body after childbirth and stuff like that. And in my experience, I have found none of that to be true, Lucy.
1: No, that's just that this is an age-old thing where I'm afraid the male species, as you said, was so afraid of the power of a woman's body, the blood and everything. They're they're just equating it with death and everything rather than life and sacredness and um, intrinsic power. That they had to make it dirty, they had to pay themselves more because they're breadwinning, instead of celebrating the incredible power of half of the human race, and being supportive. So, which most men are—I mean, which good men absolutely are—and I've got a good man, and Audrey has a good man. There's, there's plenty <laughs> of you out there. So, You've known me for 24. And minutes. my sons are good men. <laughs> oh, I'm great. <laughs>
0: You're absolutely right. Like, it's an extraordinary thing that, and we were told, we did a birthing course the other day, and someone says, oh, but what, what happens if the baby starts to come at home? And the person taking the course just said, if the baby starts to come at home, it means absolutely everything is 100% perfect, and it would not happen if everything wasn't going completely fine. If the baby comes at home, call the ambulance, get a mob. Yeah. They'll be there by the time they need to cut a cord. That was it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The body will do it. Yeah, But um, also for women, especially with their first baby, to remember that every body and everything who makes you more tense and disempowers you, you get away from them. And every thing one and everything who empowers you, and makes you more relaxed is good. Keep, you know, um, keep hold of that. So, also people who are not having babies don't tell pregnant women freaking horror stories no. that's no go they tell you a horrible story and then they go oh won't happen to you well the freaking damage is done you've made this person <laughs> more tense and you've disempowered them yeah just shut it <laughs> And ab- do it every time a coconut
0: yeah yeah you're ab- you're, a- you're absolutely right when you were you' you're – so you're you mentioned it so I'll ask you're you' you're 19 you're 20 years old you've got this little kid and this life of performance is still kind of calling you were you faced with a choice there of like am I going to do it am I not going to do it
1: no I, I I was absolutely it the baby was not a hindrance in my mind it might have been a practical issue to you know to deal with having a baby and you know being a working mum but I was unknown then anyway. I had to. I was starting from scratch, but actually, I feel like my little baby focused me, stopped me going off, getting into trouble, and fanging around on bikes. I was focused. I was responsible. So I'm very, very. I feel very protective towards unmarried mother. You know, young mothers, because it's like it can, it can go so right. Kids, you need support, but. Um, it can go
0: so right. It can be the best thing for you. This is you're actually actually describing exactly what it was that I loved about Audrey when I met her. Because G was G had just turned ten um, when I met Audrey, and I'd just got I'd been divorced for a couple of years, and I was like having the worst time in the world on Tinder. Don't ever go there, Lucy. It's the it's, the, <laughs> it's, a, it's a stinking cesspit.
1: Sounds horrible. It sounds horrible. It sounds horrible.
0: Yeah. And then I met this woman, and because she had Georgia, she was like. I don't have time to fuck around, and I do not have time to spend a second with someone who is not safe to have around my kid. So either be a good human being that's or that's get the fuck away. Right. And I love totally. that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. She yep. was so focused on not.
1: Nah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. You're very clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was great.
0: Yeah. It was. It was absolutely killer. But with this kid now now you see here's the thing I'm, I'm going off you know as you've mentioned you know somewhat dubious information um did yeah. you take because <laughs> now i just have to frame my questions in a way lucy um yeah did, did you see this acting thing and going? you know what if i'm going to do this i'm going to have to upskill I'm, am i going to be able to upskill here in new zealand did you take a journey overseas
1: no ah. uh, i did actually i went to drama school in vancouver but that was not working No, the job came to me and it came to me in a strange way where somebody else who had been training for it declined to come down to New Zealand at the last minute and it fell to me. I was just, they tried to get five other actresses to come down from LA and um, because it was still an untested series, it had never been to air, they all turned it down because they wanted to score a big series and I got the gig so it was just incredible serendipity, and the rest is history.
0: So we're talking about how you got the role on Xena.
1: Of Xena, right. That's before it was a series. It was a three-episode arc on Hercules, which had never been seen before. So you know, it wasn't like they were coming down for a, a, a shot, a, a three-episode arc on a known success. Yeah. They just blanket turned it down, and I thanked them for it.
0: And while Peter Jackson was a thing, it wasn't quite yet Lord of the Rings-style New Zealand's the hub of the world of, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. when did he make Bad Taste? I feel um, like that was kind of around that time.
0: Well, he made it over five years <laughs> on weekends.
1: Oh, Bad Taste, over yeah. here, well, yeah. bless him.
0: Yeah, it yeah. was my favourite story is that his lead yeah. actor had to keep that stubble for five and that and that they ran out of money and you can see when they went and got more money from the New Zealand Film Commission then they're blowing up sheep with bazookas like in the last
1: half
0: it's such a fantastic film I, I was such a massive Peter Jackson I was in a band named after a Peter Jackson film after this film Meet the Feebles um so I was, oh, yeah, yeah th- that and brain Dead and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, there was films of great note being made in New Zealand, but as far as, you know, the this is where billions of dollars are being made or, you know, hundreds of episodes of TV yeah. is being made, it was like at that point, yeah. it's 11 hours from Los Angeles on the other side of the world. Why do I want to go?
1: Right, and we didn't have the industry wasn't mature enough, and that was really Rob's doing Bringing his productions down here was the, really the cradle or a crucible for a lot of the creative talent where they got to upskill and then branch off and go off to Lord of the Rings.
0: What had you been – because, I mean, like anyone – in anyone's career, there's no clear path. There's just, like, there's a bunch of people doing the Rocky Four workout montage, just being as, as ready as possible and then – when the opportunity comes, they just dive through the window like Trinity in the first shot of the Matrix. What were you doing right before that phone call? What were you doing to, to be as ready as you could be?
1: Well, actually, I was on holiday with my little girl and her dad. We were camping. However, I was always doing classes and um, always I was doing everything I possibly could all the time, just creating, singing. You've got to stay sort of match fit. Unfortunately, acting is the sort of thing. If you don't keep up, classes it's almost like going to the gym you lose it and we have bought in uh rob who i mentioned before is my husband and a tremendous exec producer we've bought in people that we really loved working with so talented from long ago and they haven't been working in a while so we're like where the hell are they they're you know they'll be a fresh face again we get them in, we go oh oh my gosh that's it's so disappointing because we know we know they're great but you gotta hone your skills all the time.
0: So you, even though work wasn't coming, you were staying match fit.
1: Oh, you simply must. And I was still learning. You know, I'm still, well, I'm still learning. But um, you do scene study classes, and you oh, try to keep your photos and your showreel and things up to date. So you're always producing your own little things. That's how it starts, and 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 then one day you won't need it because you'll have proper material, but. Everybody starts out doing it for themselves. Nothing wrong with that. And it, you know what? That, that I think that's important is that if nobody else is giving you a chance, you're pursuing it anyway because of the list of things that you could do in life, one to ten is acting. If you've got something, number two, three or four, that isn't just acting, go do that because you will not have the um, staying power for the world of no that's coming at you. Yeah,
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. It was fairly obvious for us to see in Australia what that extraordinary volume of work did for the New Zealand film industry, having hundreds of episodes of both Hercules and, and Xena creating this standing army of just weaponized television, as you mentioned, Get it done in a day. Cut moving on. Cut moving on. Cut moving on. All day, all day, just creates this, this yeah. extraordinary skill set and this industry. Who then go on to to go on the world and go. This is easy. I've just done ten weeks of twelve hour days. You know, yeah. battling light in New Zealand. I can or, do this
1: for twelve years and the rain and everything. And we know you know how to do it. And you're um, ingenious because you don't have much money, but you've never had money, so you do everything with a bit of number eight wire and piece of string, you know so that ingenuity is important and um, uh, yeah but we're all there, aren't we? There's never enough money to do anything all the time, so you just have to you gotta play it like jazz man, improvise. I love it. I think that the world is like that now, yeah
0: I do have uh, I do have only one uh, well I have two Xena fan questions from me personally. The first one is, <laughs> Do you remember the day that you met Bruce Campbell for the first time? Yes. <laughs> Tell me about it, please.
1: Um, the man who would later become my husband set me up with Bruce to we go. We did a walk across the. Um, there's this big area that's been walled off now. Uh, it's kind of a causeway, a big pipe or something like. You can walk across this pipe across the mud flats, the tidal area in Auckland, close to where I now live. And sent me off on this walk with Bruce Campbell. I'm like, why is he sending me off on a walk with his old mate? And it was supposed to be like um, him teaching me how to be a good star. You know, the responsibility, if you're responsible for morale on set, you're going to work like a dog, you don't get to complain, you da 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 -da. And then a couple of years ago when we got together to do Ash vs. Evil Dead, I had to read it all back to him. (laughs) Because he's like, it's like, don't be a grumpy old bastard, Bruce. You got, you're the morale leader on set. Put your finger out. Don't. Um, but I love him. He's 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 my bro. Yeah.
0: So you get to go for a walk with Bruce Campbell, who goes, and I can only imagine the accent that he did it in. I
1: thought it was so. Weird! It was such a weird. Why are you making me walk with your friend in this lonely weird place?
0: All right, kiddo. If you're going to be the star of a show, here's what you got to know.
1: Yeah, he's. A, he sounds like he always sounds. That's just how he talks all the time.
0: So he he literally gave you like a list of things to do, like an Instagram quote.
1: Well, um, yeah, yeah, a list of good behaviours. Uh huh.
0: Do you think they're applicable outside the film industry? Are there things that, you know, people listening might get some value out of?
1: Well, there were things like you're going to work harder than you ever worked before. You never get to complain because you can, pour, you know, a complaining lead actor is a bad apple in the barrel and you will ruin everybody's good time. and um so you just got to Oh, just keep a good attitude, and sometimes that's quite. You've got to learn new skills. I really struggled in season four and season six of Xena just to keep myself from driving into oncoming traffic. But I did you that. You've got to. That's when you lean on your crew. Yeah. That's when you lean. They sometimes they carry you through. You need them.
0: Mm. My my other question about Xena, because I'm imagining you shot a fair way in advance and the effect of it, you are in New Zealand, the effect of it globally might have been a little hidden from you. When did you realise, oh, my goodness, I'm a gay icon?
1: Um, Actually, that was quite early. That was episode eight. I don't know. I have episode eight in my mind. I don't know whether we're still filming that. That can't be right because it would have – there was a long lead time, as you say. But Michael Musto from the Greenwich Village Voice was the first one to write a big article about this new gay icon, and Renee and I – poured over this text. You know, texts would come out in these scrolls of really thin paper and the ink would all run in those days if it got remotely wet. Anyway, we were pouring over this long scroll of um, an article and um, we were laughing going, oh, my God, they think the characters are gay. That's funny. Amazing. Um, But A, we never minded that. B, we thought it was cool and they made the show hip instantly. So uh, we've always tried to pay back and, and really thank that community for giving us everything they did and try to, yeah, give back to them.
0: I can only imagine what it was like waiting for the fax machine to, this is how long ago we're talking here, waiting for the fax machine. To yeah, sp-
1: 1995.
0: Spit out mm-hmm. the article. <laughs> yeah the politicians still have fax machines. that's how I, that's how I send my my letters of protest uh, because it's a physical thing. Someone actually has to pick it up and write it down, and they actually get back to you if you send them a fax I've discovered.
1: That is amazing
0: yeah uh lucy my uh I, I worked for some time in in uh, North America. I was very lucky to do so, and I had a a, a fantastic manager and uh my manager John Faraday used to say to me, "Listen, buddy." unless you're on the news, I don't care how big your show is, it's going to get cancelled one day. What are you going to do next? What was it like when Xena ended?
1: Oh, great. I was on holiday. Oh, you know, finally I could go off and have another baby and no, it was, I, I was ready for that to happen. Five years would have been perfect. Six years, was. it was really hard getting towards the end, boy, because at the beginning and the end of a show, you're often doing 80-hour weeks. And it's really arduous. And filming in New Zealand can be very challenging with the weather. So I just about lost my mind a couple of times there. but So I was fine with that. But it is, I noticed that people for the first time leading up to it, the separation anxiety that happens is that they started to get a little bit snappish with one another had it never happened in six years and started this little sort of a little bit snappish backbiting biting thing came in, and I realized, oh, this is part of the end of a series where people don't know what's coming, they've got to wrap up, just you get separation anxiety. Now that I'm, you know, I've done quite a few shows, I've ended quite a few shows, and been at the end of other people's shows as a guest actor on the very last episode, um, I'm completely au fait with that feeling. But Ebony Vagulance, who played my offsider on um, My Life is Murder, was going through all those tortures of, oh, my God, it's going to end. We're not going to see. You know, she was having all those travails. But um, we were like, nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> You'll get used to it. Things end.
0: When you're used to that regular work done, obviously you needed a break. You were working very, very hard. At what point do you go, oh, well, now what do I do? And what do you ask yourself? What do you do from that?
1: Well, if you're a little goldfish like me, who's got a 15-second memory, I don't know. You're just looking around. You, Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> that will be another thing. But in between jobs, to take your question more seriously, I used to go and get busy creatively. And, and I would, because we're very poor in the beginning, go and get old pieces of furniture and sand them down and make them beautiful, make Presents for people and and, um, decoupage things and make my home, just anything to create. Always be doing a new list of song, you know, work out a new set. It's easier when you have 30 years of friends in the business to connect with on that level. But there's always a play you can be rehearsing. There's always, even auditioning for young actors, auditioning is the same thing as doing acting class. Stay match fit. It's very important.
0: And all this, all this time, you're, you know, you're still raising a family. You're still raising kids. You're still, yeah, you know, br- bringing mm, more, yeah. more children into the world. Did you ever have a, like, did your kids ever realize, oh, my mum does a different job?
1: No, they, they just, they're really not very interested in you, anyway. And you're just mummy doing whatever mummies do, and you might as well work in a bank for all they care. But. But I won't say that it was entirely easy for uh, my daughter, who was already six when Zina came along. I think it was much harder for her than my boys, who are uh, 11 years older than her, at least 11 years. They truly don't care, because it was well long over by then, and I was just a jobbing actor and... and, um, but so sweet. They're all so sweet. Oh, my God. They treat me like a superstar, just as a superstar mummy, not an actress. You know, they're so kind. So I'm really, ugh, I, I lucked out, man.
0: As you go around the world uh, meeting people from different cultures and different countries, and what do you think coming from New Zealand has, has given you?
1: Um, I can talk to anybody. I'm more interested in the gritty side of life. Like, I'll talk to the guy in the um, park down the road covered in pigeons and pigeon shit who's collecting money for seed and he's got two teeth in his head and just... (laughs) But he's so interesting to me than to talk... You know, I'm not so interested in the Beyonce wannabes or... I, I don't know. It just gives you... I don't know if it's New Zealand. I don't even... I don't have enough of it. I can't see the wood for the trees, you know. But you know what it does give you? A little bit of fearlessness because we don't even have snakes. We're not afraid of the environment, even when we should. Like in Australia, you know, you're going to go, oh, go for a jog across this field full of taipans or something. Or you're just not afraid of things, going down dark alleys in Rio de Janeiro because that's the best way to get to the – anyway, that's what happened to me. And I'm not afraid of – people hurting my feelings <sighs> I'm not afraid of them rejecting me because I want nothing from them so when they don't give me something it's like I'm not bereft it's okay I'm, I'm entirely my my life is full my heart is full so I don't ever get hurt any you know more. I just think it's really curious when people read you wrong because that yeah, if people read you wrong and think that you meant something else or could possibly have had an ulterior motive and you totally didn't, I just find that actually kind of interesting but not hurtful.
0: That's a, I a, love that. That's Maybe a,
1: that's about being 51.
0: Uh, right. Yes, there's that. And there's also what you've just described, a commonality of the New Zealanders that that I know. There's something about, you know, I am bless every – deity that exists. I don't really believe in an interventionist God, but whatever there is to thank, I thank that I live in Australia. And yet I look across the ditch in New Zealand and go, all right, hydroelectric power, Treaty of Waitangi, female prime minister, gay marriage, shit, man, you guys have got it together. (laughs) And as a society and as a culture, as a community, it seems that to me, it's like, okay, well, these are our issues. What's a what's a compassionate way and an inclusive way that we can face this? There it is. All right, moving on. Uh, and now I see that reflected in the people that come from there.
1: Oh, good. Well, I mean, it isn't necessarily so, of course, but I think in a very small community, you you can't get away with being a bastard, systematically being a bastard, because everybody's going to know about it. And nobody's going to want to work with you. No one's going to want to deal with you. So because every human being is afraid of being ostracized or being kicked out of the group, right, probably it modifies our behavior. And only if bastards want to be uber bastards, they have to go find other bastards down in frickin' Naziville to hang out with. But for the most part, they are not really welcome generally. And we feel very much part of Polynesia. You know, Maori, Polynesian, Pacific Island people, um, especially in the north, are a huge proportion of our schools. You can't get away with not knowing them. And when you know people, it's very hard to hate them. You can't maintain that all people with such and such a colour, hair, eyes, skin, whatever, are um, beneath me. Just, it would be a big effort. You're always going to like somebody.
0: Yeah, you make you make a you make a very good a very good point about the pressure of a a tight and intimate community, and that once you, you know, you you, can, you just can't get away with it because otherwise, no, because your
1: your mother's going to hear. No. There's two degrees of separation in New Zealand, or at least there were when I was growing up, and um, your mother is going to hear if yeah. you diddled somebody. Meaning by that, I mean defraud somebody. <laughs> or the other kind, um, everybody's going to know. And um, you will get short shrift. You will be shunned. Yeah. No mammals want that.
0: No. It it is interesting how that now that we have this uh, technological ability to, like, you could do that. You could be the one bastard in the community and then yet be the head of some online Facebook group with 300 people who will go, yeah! And so you feel... Now you feel this empowerment now that we've, we we yeah. have a way to bypass that social penalty that you pay for being horrible to people face to face.
1: You're right, yeah, especially not even using your real name. you're absolutely right.
0: this is this is true, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure as a public figure you would have to deal with a fair bit.
1: Oh, you mean opprobrium coming from Twitter or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have in the past, but you know what? it gets kind of exciting after a while.
0: Yeah <sighs> Wow.
1: Well. Because you just get in this little fight mode. I remember when I go off about gun control in here in America, oh, that brings out the crazies. Nothing brings out the rage in gun lovers like somebody challenging them about, you know, there is no reason to have semi-automatics in an urban env- environment. Fuck you. You just want to turn people into smithereens if they frighten you. But they want to be able to not only have one, they want to have a, a thousand. Of them. I've actually got a very good friend in Louisiana who is a judge and he might actually need protection, you know, a judge. But he's got dozens of weapons in his house and he just enjoys it. And he's a real, he got very angry, you know, very shirty with me when I was, I was like, oh, it's a cancer. <laughs> it's fighting words, boy. Well, there's one thing, you know farmers do farmers do need them. there's lot, there's people who do need them, hunters need them, we need them for um, you know pest protection protection of the native species. We need all kinds of things, uh, guns for certain things, but we really don't need them in cities, and there's plenty of cities around the world who get by just fine without guns, and our burglars, we got, we got robbed at our house before we had dogs. Um, we got robbed. And we were just so grateful because we heard them coming upstairs and my husband heard them freaked out and they took off, thank God. But, you know, if there were guns, that whole thing could have ended very badly. And actually, they were the tidiest burglars ever. They had laid out towels, got towels and <laughs> laid out, lifted all the fascia off the walls, unwired, everything carried out, this enormous television. They must have had a gate clicker or something, you know, broken into one of the cars. Anyway, we've, we took care of all of that after that and had the biggest, meanest dogs ever. But you just don't need guns. It's lovely when your burglars don't have guns.
0: <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right. You know, a lot of people may not consider that, you know, and and the stats prove that, you know, if you do have a gun in the home that your chances of getting shot are astronomically higher just because yeah. of the fact that you've Or got shooting
1: one. your child as they come home unexpectedly from university. Oh, it happens, you know, the numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's. Oh, uh, oh you're not going to find any argument from me here, Lucy. None, of, none at all. Um, oh,
1: oh. We look, if we try hard enough, we yeah. might have a little argument.
0: We have something else in common, which I'm very grateful for, Lucy, in that we get to be in, on an episode of your show together.
1: Do we? What do you mean? What do you mean?
0: Have a guess. Um, which which episode of your show do you think I would show up in, and how?
1: I'm trying to think about. We had newsreaders or something. Close. Do we have a news? No. You, you're
0: you're you played a. What are we doing right now?
1: You're Skypeing.
0: No, no. For what?
1: Were you, were you-
0: for what medium? What are you making? I
1: don't know. Oh, on your podcast. You podcast Oh dude you're on the podcasting episode yes. Oh amazing I was so excited oh. when they
0: called me. I was so excited. Oh, that's cool. Because your producers listen to the show. Uh, they listen. Oh, to this, brilliant! Yeah, they listen to the show and they're like, "We need a vo- we need someone to be a podcaster. Let's get him. He's a podcaster." And um,
1: we love him. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Oh, well, thank you for coming and playing with us.
0: Oh, it's so I got to sit there and you know when you're doing these things when you're doing it's called ADR additional dialogue recording when you're doing ADA, you're just watching the same piece of vision over and over and over again and I'm I'm making sure that I get exactly the right words in before you grab your cup of coffee because yep. that's where the next dialogue comes <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm oh
1: Oh, yeah,
0: great. You're doing your very best acting with your earbuds in and, and I'm trying to time my words to your facial reactions.
1: It was great. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for your diligence. Of course. Thank, Thank you I for bringing it. the expertise. I, wow. take it,
0: I take it very oh, seriously. Lovely. If only I did a True Crime podcast like I did on your show because I'd probably have way higher ratings. <laughs> but it was super... Oh, Ill-
1: well, I think... Oh, cute. That was lovely. Yeah, it was, it was super fun, super fun
0: to be a part of. It. It's and always, it's always interesting when when things cross over like that, um, you know, when yeah, cool. a, a drama chooses to get someone from the real world in that kind of uh, adjacent to what the character is to be that. And it kind of adds a, kind yeah. of little thing in there.
1: Oh, brilliant. Thank you for doing that.
0: Oh, no worries. I'm stoked because now, nice now my... I don't know how IMDb rankings work, but now because I'm associated with you in a show, I'll probably, I don't know what's gonna happen. Oh,
1: it'll skyrocket, skyrocket,
0: skyrocket! Out of the way, mate. That Loki yeah. nomination is coming my way, Lucy Lawless. It's coming. Gotta-
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to know. I mean, just before, because I've, I've taken a, a lot of your time on this beautiful day in New York City. So I do want to ask that that kid who loved to play and, and chased play and has found a way to make play her career. What do you think she'd say if she looked forward and saw you sitting there in New York City with the life you've got now?
1: Oh, well, I would have been pleased as punch, but also at some point I would have thought, well, this is a natural trajectory. I would have gone, oh, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> like I was so ignorant of how hard, how, <laughs> how um how many happy accidents have to happen but that's that thing like nothing succeeds like preparation uh yeah you just work jolly hard and and be ready to spot opportunity when it comes your way
0: work jolly hard and then
1: work jolly hard some more i mean the the, the work does not ever stop It's it's always going to be hard yeah no. maybe not the acting will be the least least of it but the early mornings and the it doesn't matter whatever your form of play is there's a lot of sweat that goes into the getting the the moments on screen you know you
0: do but you know what those moments are still good and i don't mind it i'm sure you don't either
1: super good super good <laughs> nah, loving it and living you, and our best life
0: lucy lawless you are nothing but uh, a superstar you're a total pro um thank oh. you so much for Thanks, your time mate. today you're the best
1: the pleasure is mine thank you very much oh,
0: love it have a great day all right
1: okay ta ta all
0: That was Lucy Lawless. Thank you so much for listening to the show and thank you everyone that helped make this show happen across oceans and time zones and all kinds of things. Rachel Barrett, my show producer, couldn't make this show without her. Andy Ma, my audio producer who cut it all together. Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider, who made all the great music that happened today. Thank you so much for listening. If you do need anything through the week, send us your email at gmail.com. I'm at your service. Have a fantastic week. I'll talk to you Friday. Until then. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things.